When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Larry Brantley, the voice of Wishbone. That's right, I was your childhood. And you're listening to the Can Air Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. And I'm Josh Bellis. And we've got a good episode for you guys today. As you've seen by the cover art, you already know who's here. But, you know, this has been a long time coming. Yes, Wishbone has. has been a reoccurring mm-hmm. theme on our uh, show, as many of you know. And if you don't, <laughs> just go back and listen to 500, and uh, you'll get a recap there. But uh, it seemed only fitting to yes. reach out to Larry and uh, see so if he would come on the show. And, and we I'm so glad we did. Yeah, a little, mm-hmm. getting, little ahead of myself here. I, I didn't do the full, the full introduction. Our guest today's voice you've heard in animes like Attack on Titan, Full Metal Alchemist, My Hero Academia, One Piece, uh, just to name a few of the animes he's been in. He was Captain Franklin Paddock in Brothers in Arms, Earned in Blood, which is a PS2 mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. but he's best known for portraying the Jack Russell in the PBS show Wishbone. We welcome voice actor Larry Brantley to the show. And damn, what a great conversation that was, huh? Yes, it was. Yes. Hi, guys. Oh, yes. I met my hero, and I was not disappointed. Yeah, you, you walk, you, it's, that's a dangerous gamble meeting your heroes sometimes. Yeah, you, Trust me. I think you've rolled the dice several times on that one, haven't you? You definitely have, yeah. but uh, it's all, it's what, when it's a great experience, it's so much better when you've had those oh bad gosh. ones behind you, you know? <laughs> awesome that uh, you guys had that experience, because I know these are our wish bros right here, Josh nope. and Randy, mm-hmm. the wish bros. T-shirts yes. incoming. We are redeemed. But it's a, it's a great conversation. We talked with him about how he got started, of course, about uh, working on Wishbone and, uh, you know, the behind-the-scenes kind of stuff. And uh, some more stuff after that. The anime, uh, talking about being in an acoustic band. All kinds of interesting stuff that I guarantee you've probably never heard. So mm-hmm. so very anxious for everyone to hear this conversation. But before we get started, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod, Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok at Canned Air Podcast. And if you go to CannedAirPodcast.com, there's a few ways you can support the show. You can uh, click on the merch tab there and get T-shirts, mugs, hats, all kinds of shit with our logo on it and artwork design. Quality shit. Quality shit. Quality mm. shit. Yeah, I should. I shouldn't say that <laughs> if I'm trying to sell something. It doesn't work out well. It's not a great marketing. 
tactic, but you know, whatever. You get where we're coming from. You people. get where we're coming. Wear from. our swag, damn it. Wear our swag yeah. with uh, designs made by our very own Joshua Bellis here, and then over on our Patreon tab, five to ten dollars a month gets you access to the Canned Air uh, Patreon Pod and so many other different things on there. Hours upon hours of content just waiting for you to drop a fiver, guys. Five dollar bill. Come on. Learn thing about learn things about the co-hosts that may or may not be legally. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. where you go to find like to get the get the scoop on what yeah, we are, dirt, who yeah. we are, the, the dirt. dirt. Yeah. Yeah, that's the where blackmail. we that's where we that's where we let our hair down. Yeah, and really uh yeah, incriminate ourselves. But uh, Randy, what am I forgetting? A big shout out to evergreenpodcast.com, the uh, network we are so proud to be a part of. And it is freaking spooky season, people. So mm-hmm. if you have a scary story, a haunting that you experienced, saw some weird creature in the woods that wasn't Jack, we want to hear about <laughs> it. So uh, send us a message. We'll get you on, hear it, or I guess we can read it too if, if you're too scared to come on with us. And uh, yeah, just let's celebrate the season and get some spooky shit, damn it. <laughs> really giving it to Jack there. Yes, we are. <laughs> it's it's the best when he's not here to defend himself. That's <laughs> when <laughs> so it's the best. <laughs> But yes, we do need the spooky stories. So, guys, if you're listening, you have an experience or know someone with an experience, let us know. We want to talk to you. And also, we just put our 500th episode out, people. If if this is your first time listening to Candare, the 500th episode is a great place to start because you kind of get a a glimpse of everything we've been doing over the Mm -hmm. years. It's a summary while we're being, I think, funny. I thought it turned out pretty funny. Yeah. But um, I guess we'll let the, les- the listeners be the judge of that. So check out episode 500. Anything else? Let's get into the interview. Let's cut over to our conversation with Larry Brantley. Larry, thank you so much for taking time to be here on the show with us. It's quite an honor to have the voice of Wishbone here. And I got to tell you, uh, Josh and Randy here are probably about the biggest Wishbone fans uh, I've ever met. So... <laughs> Well, thank you guys very much for the invite. It's great to be here. Very excited to talk about Wishbone and many other things, but I want to go back, uh, as I always do, to find out where you come from. What were you like as a child? Like most people who end up doing what I do for a living, I was a bit of a class clown as a kid. I lied about my age when I was 16 years old so I could do stand-up in the state of Texas. At the time, all comedy clubs were 21 and over, so you had to be at least 18. I was 16, but I had this awesome pencil-thin porn stash that <laughs> looked like I could maybe pass for 18. So I, I started trying to uh, do it stand-up. I just figured that was better than annoying the shit out of my classmates, uh, which by then, I mean, I grew up in a small town in Texas. So I had been, I, by the time I got to high school, I've already been with these guys for nine years. They were so sick of my shit. So, um, I thought I'd I'd try it on on another audience. Um, and then from there, it really just, uh, I had a a big break because, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school. I couldn't afford to go to college and I really needed to get out of that small town. So I enlisted in the army, uh, where they didn't find me funny at all. Um, (laughs) Did my time in the military, got out, wound up in Houston, which was not far from where I grew up. And then I think it was uh, January 1st, 1993, a couple of buddies of mine and I uh, moved to Dallas and we came up with a plan. And the plan was we were going to move into an apartment in Dallas 
we were going to do commercials for a couple of years because at that time in Dallas, in 1993, it, three of the five biggest ad agencies in the country had offices in Dallas. Oh, okay. And a lot of commercial work to be done there. So we, we decided we would do that and we would do like industrial training films for like JCPenney and Frito-Lay, build up our resume for a couple of years and then go out to L.A., and seek our fame and fortune. And instead what happened was I wound up working on a PBS children's show called Wishbone. But that became crazily popular. I mean, you you did, (laughs) didn't you? You kind of did achieve that goal, right? Yeah. I mean, it it was, you know, the, the, it never happens the way you envision it. Sure. uh, Because my vision involves somehow dating Linda Carter for a while. But (laughs) um, if you're still out there, Linda, I am married, but, I would consider it. He's <laughs> a wonderful woman. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think we any of us really had a handle on on how successful the show had been because it debuted in October of '95, and it wasn't until sometime I think in the spring or summer of '96 that uh, the producers decided to send us on the road. We were waiting to see if we were even going to get a second season, and so they thought it would be a good idea to go live and hit every major PBS market. And that was when we started to see who our audience was and just how big of an impact the show was having. And it was um, it was startling, actually. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I'd, I'd heard you say that, you know, you were expecting mainly children, but there was people in college and that you had even heard people in uh, like nursing homes have been uh, yeah. watching the show. So yeah, well, like in your estimate, I mean, it's easy to see why this kind of a show would be popular with everyone. But in your estimate, what is it about this show that rings to every generation? I think the first thing is we weren't trying to be anything specific. What we were trying to do is be good story, uh, storytellers. And we were trying to be true to the source material. And that was uh, our showrunner was Stephanie Simpson, uh, who's still a good friend of mine. And she's gone on to win Emmys. And I think she's currently showrunning like three different children's shows right now. Of course, not right now. It's and everything. You know, one of the ground rules that she laid down in the beginning for the entire writing staff was we're not going to write down to kids. And I was the punk in the room and I had zero experience doing any of this stuff. And so, you know, the real reason I got the job in the first place, I think, is not because I had this cool voice or even that I was a very good actor at the time, but I made it my effort to try to find the personality of the dog. And I think I managed to do that in the in the second or third audition that they had me do with the actual dog, whose name was Soccer. And so I wasn't trying to, I you know, I wasn't trying to capture a a voice. Uh, I was just trying to capture a personality. And then the voice came. And within the writing of the show, they gave me a lot of freedom because you know it's a dog, right. and the dog sure. often did things that weren't in the script and it would be just a a small little moment captured on film that they didn't want to edit out because it was either cute or funny or whatever it was. And so generally speaking, what they do is they give me a pass at it. They wouldn't write something for me. They just say, what's going on right there right now. Um, And I had it in my head from the very beginning that I was going to help make this character as irreverent as possible because I wanted it to be a show that my friends would want to watch. And of course my friends were too. 
So I wanted, I wanted there to be something there because remember what the most popular kid show at that time was, was Barney and friends. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and look, I'm, I'm friends with all of those guys too. Everybody who worked on that show is a friend of mine. Uh, but it was a very specific target audience that they were going after. And we just wanted to tell stories. Right. So in the pitches, they had to say, this was our target demographic, but it never really was. We just wanted to tell good stories well. And I think that is the thing that probably wound up making us a crossover success. We weren't trying to target any particular audience. We just wanted to make a classic story, whether it was the Odyssey or Robin Hood or African-American folktales. We just wanted to make it accessible for everyone. And, you know, as it turns out, a little dog made that possible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Nobody I mean, a little dog and said, I can't relate to that at all. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, I know it was a huge part of my childhood and it got me interested in classic literature. And thank you for that. But um, <laughs> circling back to that, um, your initial interview, I know you've talked about this before, but for the benefit of our listeners, I, I know that initial interview was kind of crazy and, you know, you uh, had some things you weren't expecting on that. Well, there, there were there was there were two auditions and then some subsequent meetings. I'll tell you that the first audition I went on, my agent just called me. Now I'd been doing commercials on camera for a while at this point, maybe I don't know six seven months. Okay. And then she called me and she said, "I'm sending you on a voice audition." And I said, "Great. What is a voice audition?" Because I'd never had one of those before. Right. He said, well, it's, it's, she had to explain to me, he's like, you're going to stand behind a microphone and act instead of getting in front of a camera and act. I said, awesome. And then the only thing she told me was it was a proof of concept shoot for a children's television show. And the main character was a dog and I would be playing the dog. And driving to that audition, I had that thought about the most popular children's program in the world at that time was Barney and Friends. And as I was walking into the audition, what I was saying to myself was, if I get this job and I have to dress up in a dog costume and dance around on a stage, (laughs) because that's what they're expecting me to do for the right amount of money, I will do it. (laughs) I will also probably end up a horrible drug addict and or alcoholic, but I will (laughs) do the right amount of money. So I'm first audition i was completely blind uh i there was not even a producer or a writer present there was just the audio engineer whose name is david booth he handed me the copy and i had a million questions none of which he could answer and it's just a scene and it's just words that the dog is saying out loud and honestly i didn't know what to do so i just tried to keep it light and whatever and it wasn't until the callback which is a second audition that I actually saw soccer for the first time. And I was like, oh, shit, this changes everything. I am not, first of all, I'm not going to have to dress up in a dog suit. Yay. (laughs) But it really was like, I had to have been like 24, maybe, at that time. Wow. Hey, what, how do do I, how do I approach this? And so the way that they decided to do the audition that time was we were in a house that was the house they were going to be shooting the contemporary stuff in. And they were going to have one by one voice actors would go into the library 
where Rick Duffield, the executive producer and creator, Stephanie Simpson, head writer, showrunner, Burke Guthrie, the DP was there, Betty Buckley, our line producer was there. They're all there. And they said, here's what we want you to do. This is Jackie Captain, the head trainer. This is Soccer the Dog. When we say action, she's going to put soccer through some motions, and you're going to read this copy to what he is doing. And even then, I thought, that's kind of a bad idea, I think, because I because I had already seen Jackie at work. And so not only was she giving verbal cues to soccer, but she was giving, I'm sorry, uh, a hand cues, but she was giving verbal cues as well. So, you know, we're going to be talking over each other. It's going to be mm-hmm. weird. And then I was like fourth or fifth to go. I saw that borne out. There were guys there way more experienced than I had. And they all came walking out like, you know, like they just seen the Zapruder film. Like, what the hell was that? I don't even know. (laughs) They were just shell shocked. They didn't, you know. And so I was like, oh, God, this is just awful. This is just going to be awful. So now it's my turn and we walk in and I I asked the question, where's the microphone? And Betty Buckley held up a boom box and said, we're going to record on this. And I was like, okay. We're going old school. <laughs> wow. So right at that time, Jackie turns around and looks at all of us and says, uh, soccer needs a break. And I thought that meant he needed to go outside, but that's not what happened. So what happened was she reached into a pouch on her hip and she pulled out a tennis ball and she threw it to him and he lost his fucking little dog mind <laughs> it was it was a transcendent moment he just like the entire world ceased to exist and it was just about that little tennis ball and he started playing a game of fetch with himself and instinctively i this honestly people have asked me this for years it wasn't a choice so much it was just the thing i always used to do with my pets i just kind of tossed the copy aside And I started verbalizing what I thought must be going through his head at that moment. There was no rhyme or reason to it. I I could never recreate it. I'm sure that tape exists somewhere, but it was just me channeling into soccer for a good minute and a half. It seemed like it was a long time. I vaguely remember there being some laughter in the room. And then at some point, Jackie swooped in and she grabbed the tennis ball and put it back in the pouch And soccer sat down and looked up and I turned around and I said, are you guys, are we ready to do the audition now? And Betty Buckley said, Oh, we got the audition. Oh, wow. (laughs) And I browned my trousers because (laughs) (laughs) like, Oh no, 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 no. Let that be my audition. I was just goofing around. I was just having some fun. I promise I can act. Let me act. <laughs> like, no, no, it was great. It was great. But it sounded, it was great. Like, we'll be in touch, which means fucking get out of my Aww. office. <laughs> so I, I walked out and I just thought, oh, my God, I blew that so bad. I just, I totally, I was literally entertaining myself at the expense of now I'm not going to get this gig. And at that point, I still didn't know really what the show was about, but I, I really wanted this job. (laughs) And so I went home and I was kind of dejected and everything. And then I didn't hear anything for weeks and I decided I got to get out of town for a while. So uh, my uncle had a cabin in the Smoky Mountains and I drove there. 
16 hours it took Damn. me to get up to that cabin where there was no one and I didn't know anything. The only person who had the cabin number was my agent. And I said, don't call me if it's good news. And about the third day of what was supposed to be a seven day vacation, the phone rang and she called me and she was like, they want you. And she kind of said it like, I know, beats me. I don't know what the hell. <laughs> Something about a tennis ball? Uh, yeah. Or drunk, I don't know. I hear one of them's a heavy drinker, but uh, they, they want you. And so they said, come back and go to work. So I finished out my time in the Smokies and I came back and we started shooting. That is awesome. Yeah, I yeah. think I would have been browning my trousers too in that situation <laughs> because you're just getting warmed up and they said, we're, we're good. Wow. I wasn't even... I was not thinking, and honestly, for most of my early career, that is sort of a bad habit with not thinking. Although I must say in this character, it kind of helped because I learned an important connection that I had with soccer was to just be in the moment. Someone like 10 episodes in, someone on the crew gave me uh, a book of of axioms from around the world. And one of them was an old Japanese samurai axiom that said, you should always try to be in this moment because it's the only place where things are actually happening. Hmm. And I thought, Damn. oh my God, that's exactly how a dog lives wow. his life. A dog doesn't think about the past or the future. They just <laughs> right. think about now, you know? And yeah, there had to be a little more complexity to Wishbone's character because the suspension of disbelief in him pulling us into the story. But I thought, you know, for the most part, that's a really good rule of thumb to follow is to just watch him and be in that moment, see how he reacts and what he reacts to. Because when you're doing animation, you know, the voice performances come first and then the animators work around that. Right. Ours right. The opposite. We were completely bound by what soccer did or did not do on the camera. And, and we didn't have a lot of time for reshoots if that ever came up. Thankfully, mostly it didn't. But, you know, it, this is what's on the screen. So this is what you got. So work with it, you know. <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Yeah, is exactly, you know, the recording process of your voice to the dog. So they, they got all the footage and then you just were sitting there with the footage and putting your voice in. It didn't quite work out that way. So as we were in pre-production for about a month, we were doing table reads and, and ramping up. And I was making it a point to go out to my local bookstore and buy all of the books that we were going to do. We were initially uh, funded, I think for four or five episodes. Okay. And that was it. And so they, you know, they all told us in advance what, those were going to be. So I ran out and I'm, and I've always been a, a furious reader. Like, like, I don't mean I read angrily. I just mean I'm, I'm an avid reader. Um, and uh, so that was sort of my homework and trying to get the backstory and everything. Um, <clears throat> and then it was when we were doing the table reads before we shot a, a roll of film, we were doing the table reads and Rick and Betty, I saw them putting their heads together at the end of the table. And they said, listen, there's no way we're going to make this work unless we have you on set. We need to have you on set because clearly observing the table read, these are actors acting. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have that from you because you're not on set, you know, we're going to lose something, I think. And the actors tended to agree. And uh, so the decision was made before we ever shot one day 
that I would be on set with the actors five days a week. So we had Monday through Friday to shoot an episode and get it in the can. And I, uh, our sound guy out there was a guy named Michael Haynes. I say was Michael Haynes. He's still alive. Um, <laughs> Michael Haynes. And so Mike rigged a really interesting little simple system whereby he ran a speaker out to the set that sat near the camera. And that was the speaker that my voice came out of for the benefit of the other actors. And then I would be back somewhere in the vicinity of Video Village with Michael, and he would set up a mic for me. And he, if we were outside, he'd build me like a little furniture pad set out of a studio, out of whatever, put a high monitor in front of me so I could see what the camera sees. And then we wore these things called contacts, which look very much like your cans, that allowed me to hear through the boom mic. So this was how I communicated with the actors on set. They could hear me. I could hear them. Uh, they just didn't see me. And they were all professionals, so no one ever just looked at the speaker. Um, but it made it a lot easier to play a scene because it was me and my rhythms versus a script supervisor just, just blandly reading lines. Okay. And so then that was Monday through Friday. So then on Saturday, I would go into the recording studio and I would clean record an episode that was maybe two thirds of the way through the editing process. So once we got two or three weeks in, they had me come in on Saturday. So Monday through Friday, we typically were like, you know, 12 to 14 hour days. Saturday was about an eight to 10 hour day of just me with my engineer, Perry Robertson, Rick Duffield, Stephanie Simpson, and maybe the director who'd worked on that episode sitting in there looking through the, the mostly edited version and then clean recording all of Wishbone's lines and then also looking for opportunities to sort of ad lib or improv or throw something in there right. that we missed the first time that the editor was like, oh, this is a cool shot. Let's leave that in. So, yeah, I thought I was going to work one day a week and I worked six. <laughs> uh, but I didn't complain because it was a regular job. And as an actor, anytime sure. you get a regular job, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's that sounds like such a very unique recording situation. I'm sure there's yeah. a lot more work, but surely that must have been much more rewarding in the final product, I guess. You felt like you were more involved. I will tell you something, man. I I was so grateful for the opportunity to be on set because all of the people so we had we had a we had a regular contemporary cast. We had Mary Chris Wall, Jordan Wall, no relation, Christy Abbott, David, or I'm sorry, Adam Springfield. Angie Hughes were our, our people in our neighborhood in Oakdale. And I worked with them every week and they say, don't work with kids and animals. And I've basically made my entire career doing exactly <laughs> that. They're all grown now. Uh, I keep in touch with all of them. Uh, but then on the, on the, on the literature side, we had all these wonderfully theatrically trained actors with a lot of experience. People like Sean Hennigan and Sally Vale and Joe Nemers and Matt Tompkins, and Dee Hennigan. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. There were so many great people. <clears throat> and I realized pretty quickly, like from day one, shit, I got to be a better actor because I need to just be able to keep up with these people in a scene. Never mind, you know, be on their level. I just want to tread water with them so Sure. So the opportunity to interact with them on set, even if it was only voice wise, 
made me a better actor. And it, 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 it helped me to distinguish the difference between, I, I had to learn how to be subtle because like never really was my forte. Big energy is usually my thing. Uh, but there were times, especially when Wishbone was playing a character where subtlety was called for or drama or even tenseness was called for. One of the ones that comes back to me is uh, Frankenstein. Oh, and yeah. There, we could write a whole book about just the making of that damn show. But um, every one of these guys made me a better actor. And I'll be honest with you, I was young and stupid. I don't think I ever told them that. So, guys, if you're watching... Thank you. You made me a better actor. That's incredible, though. Awesome. Yeah, but at least one of them is going, what an asshole. Oh, come on now. <laughs> I don't buy that. <laughs> but yeah, you, you just getting that experience and that training just from being in the thick of it, you know, instead of like going and getting classes. That's a great way to learn, at least I think. I tell people it was better than four years of film school. I could have gone yeah. to NYU. Actually, there's no way in hell I could have gone to NYU. But point taken, uh, yeah, there, there's nothing quite like being thrown in the deep end. Uh, and it wasn't just me. It was all of us. We were all young and at the beginning of our careers, not just the actors, but the crew, all the production team. And if, if you guys think for a minute about what they had to do, honestly, I had the easiest job in the world. Oh, I think that yeah. I think on camera yeah. actors actually had it had it easier, not easier than me, but easier. It was the it was the production crew. They had to make a new universe every week. Yeah. I mean, one week it's medieval England. The next week we're in sub-Saharan Africa. The week after that, we're far into the future because we're doing HG Wells time machine. <laughs> I mean, yes. it was just and, and these guys would somehow in the middle of a shoot week find time to get together, have some meetings, have to make some decisions very fast, and then peel off part of their teams and get them working on the stuff for next week's episode. I mean, it was just, it was crazy yeah. because we were basically shooting mini movies every single week. Right. And wow. And at the end, so we thought at the end of four episodes, our time together was coming to an end. And we were all like, wow, this has been a lot, hasn't it? But we've learned a lot and we've made some new friends and now we'll slow down and go on to other things. And at lunch on Friday, Betty Buckley stood up in front of 120 of us and said, uh, PBS just ordered 35 more episodes. Oh, man. And we're like, for the for for one season, because who the fuck does forty episodes in one season? No kidding. No one. No one does that. That's who does that. Wow. And so we all. Went, it was so funny, man, because like the minute she did that, everybody got on their cell phones, which in 1994 looked like this. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all getting brain cancer as we were calling. I'm going to be busy for a lot longer than I thought I was. I can't do that thing I said I was going to do. I love you, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and, and suddenly we were thrown together for an entire year. But I'll tell you what, man, I wouldn't change it for the world because every one of those people is still family. Yeah, sure. Wow. And, and so many great episodes too, pulling from so many, you know, different you know, places in literature. Um, did you have in that time or since, have there been any classic literature stories, any modern literature that you've wished they would have made into an, uh, an episode? 
I wish we were still making the show. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. honestly, yes. if you think about your question, <clears throat> that that was what we we started. In, we started production in '94. Mm-hmm. It's now 2023. We would not have had to do a single best of. We wouldn't have had to do a montage show. We were never going to run out of source material. Right. Right. That's true. And it and that's the part that bums me out is that we're not still making the show today because you know it 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 was it was great. Um yeah, there's a cut like we had briefly entertained the idea of doing 20,000 leagues under the sea. This oh. actually came up uh, I did a uh, a con this weekend in uh Louisville, Texas. And uh, a lot of Wishbone fans there and one of them said, "Oh, I wish you'd always done 20,000 leagues." And I said, "Well, it's funny cuz we actually entertain the idea and our um our production guys chris henry and doug leonard came back and they said this is the minimum we can do it for and keep the production value that people are used to and rick and betty looked at that number and rick who never swears said a swear word (laughs) and we decided we couldn't do the show also we could, you know, James Cameron was not returning our calls. And at that time he was doing all the underwater <laughs> shit. Yeah, uh, well, that'd be something. So that's bone on the Titanic. That one would have been fun to do. Uh, 20,000 leagues. That was one I always thought was pretty cool. Agreed. Agreed. And you know, Absolutely. it's a funny thing because it, it, it seems like Hollywood's big thing to do is reboots. And to think that uh, wishbone has never gotten that treatment is uh, very, it's surprising. Well, I mean, if you're keeping up with the trend, uh, there was an announcement. I can't remember if it was Hollywood Reporter or Variety a few weeks ago. Oh, after yes. Mattel's success with the Barbie movie, they decided. So they had announced last year or the year before that they were putting uh, a Mattel and Universal were partnering to put a Barney movie and a Wishbone movie in development. And now, since the success of the Barbie film, they've said, someone said, that they're going to put the Barney Wishbone films on the fast track. I don't know what that means. I do know what the initial press release means, because I think initially they said, when they announced that they were going to do a Wishbone movie, they said something like, it's going to be a reimagining of the classic children's character. I don't know what reimagining means to you, but I know what it means in my world. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it, Chris Pratt. (laughs) So... You know, my phone is not ringing, um, and that's okay. But uh, it, we'll see if it gets made. I mean, it took them forever to make the Barbie movie. And honestly, I thought that was a great film, but I thought it was great. Yeah, it was. They let Greta Gerwig do her thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, but the bar has been set really high now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it has. They're going to, you know, I if they do make a movie – about the little dog. My only hope is that they treat it with the respect that it deserves. Uh, I, I would think that the audience of the show, and I'm still meeting them around the country. You know, they're all in their thirties now and have kids of their own, but, um, <laughs> well, some of them have kids of their own, not all of them. Yeah. Um, this one does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, well, he just called you right out, didn't he? Yes, he did. <laughs> He did that and has children. Yeah. Uh, That's not a bad thing, though, right? A wishbone <laughs> fan with kids? Come on. Yeah, right? I would yeah. I would hope that they would just, you know, I, I can't imagine what a reimagining of that character would be like because he 
he existed on screen for a very specific purpose, which was to introduce kids to this incredible universe of classic literature. And if you don't have him doing that, what is he doing? Right. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it's it's a show that is of its time, but it's also timeless. I mean, because of the subject matter it's dealing with. Ooh, I need to write that down in my notes. (laughs) There you go. We'll keep an eye on the mailbox for that paycheck. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's and that's uh, sad that your cell phone has been quiet because oh my gosh, you're one of like the best parts of of that show. We went back and watched a couple episodes before this uh, recording, (laughs) and just hearing. The the small jokes that you make, like the one episode that I watched was the uh, Halloween episode, and the big opening joke is that Wishbone hears a cookie about to hit the floor from like yeah. several blocks away and runs to catch it, and that's that's just funny. It's that's never not going to be funny, and like you said before, it's so relatable because everyone's dog is capable of that, right? Or they think they yeah. are. Yeah. Well, thank you. Oh. I that was a fun one to do too. It involved a lot of night shooting in the cold um <laughs> but while i've got you guys here uh let me turn turn this around uh do you guys do each of you have a favorite episode just out of curiosity oh boy yeah, mine, mine is the halloween episode that's the one that came into my mind first okay sleepy hollow yeah absolutely for me that the was- one that that i have the most memories of and i don't know if it's just because i caught it more often was the uh the tom sawyer huck finn uh yeah. episode that oh. was one of the first ones we did. Was it really? Okay. Yeah, that was early in season one. The first episode we did was Oliver Twist. Okay. And then if, if memory serves, we did Huck Finn right after that. Okay. Wow. I, I remember because it was summer and it was hot. <laughs> it was hot. <laughs> Wasn't so bad shooting Huck Finn, but the first week when we're shooting Oliver Twist, all of our principals and extras are dressed up in that heavy woolen English clothing. Right. And about right after lunch, they just started dropping like flies, man. <laughs> I mean, it was just, hey, what does heat exhaustion feel like? <laughs> <laughs> I think he browned himself. <laughs> yeah. That through. So I heard uh, Huck Finn, or rather Tom Sawyer. I heard Sleepy Hollow. What else? There's three uh, of these. So I, I can't say I've got one that's like stuck out to me like – all these years, but uh, one that I saw when researching, you know, trying to, you know, just look back at Wishbone before we talk with you, was uh, the Time Machine. H.G. Wells, the Time Machine. And, uh, you know, aside from the literary part of the episode, it was seemingly the perils of the calculator, you know, uh, <laughs> not, not being too reliant on it. And it was funny because watching it when it started, it you know, seemed a little foreign, but as it went along, like all these things start coming back to me. Like I remember the kid, Joe, like I've totally forgotten about him. I remember him. I forgot about how much time they spent between, you know, the real world Mm -hmm. and the story. And Mm -hmm. kind of like what Josh was saying, how quick quippy uh, wishbone was and how clever some of the things he was saying was, it was, it was cool to rewatch. So much of that was, the, the writing, honestly. And um, we had some really strong writers who have actually gone on to have great careers. So, of course, I've mentioned Stephanie Simpson. But another one, and a name you might know, he works for CBS. He's had his own shows. He's on CBS Sunday Morning a lot. A guy named Mo Rock. Yes. And um, if you're not familiar with Mo, look his stuff up. He's hysterical. 
he and I, I believe, are the same age, and we basically started our careers at the same time, um, having no idea what we were doing. And then uh, another guy who contributed to the show on the writers' team is a guy named Adam Felder. And Adam's been on the uh, NPR show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, like a gazillion times, has done all kinds of other stuff. So it's it's really interesting. And then, you know, you can think about, there's actually some Texas actors who have gone on from our show. Um, there's Amy Acker, who started on our show when I think she was like 18 and wow. went on to do uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Man. Alias and other Josh Whedon vehicles. Jensen Ackles was on our show. The mm-hmm. guy was, no kidding. What? He was this punk little kid on our show. That's oh where he got God. his start? Yeah, right wow. here. Wow. Um, That's awesome. I can't remember. Yeah, there's there were some others, but I mean, it was just kind of funny how, how um, you know, years later you go, that looks familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I age him down, oh, that's who it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's, so funny. that's so cool. Yeah. Also, one episode I got to mention real quick, the Red Badge of Courage episode. My dad, that's his favorite episode because he's a his- Civil War history teacher in high school. And he showed that episode to his year one uh, American history students. And he has ha- kept the copy of the VHS on his VCR player on the TV that still does VHS, and he still shows it every year. To That's so cool, man. I love that. Yeah. Say hi to your dad for me. Um, the, what was <laughs> funny about that episode was uh, the guy in charge of our post-production is a guy named Michael Serto. And Mike, and I, I think probably Rick and Betty knew this before we decided on this episode, was a Civil War reenactor. Okay. Oh, and wow. It was quite easy to do those scenes because Mike knew all of the guys who were in that world. So That's they brought so out cool. their cannons and their muskets and their, you know, and I mean, they, Steve Kujay, our, our wardrobe guy, didn't know what to do with himself because he's like, everybody bought their fucking clothes. <laughs> what, what is this? You know, it was it was awesome. awesome. And um, those cannons really do work, by the way. Yeah, uh, wow. because we were shooting that in uh, late summer, I think. And here in Texas, where I am, we have these nasty little critters called cicadas. Oh, <laughs> yeah. A we're hell of a racket. <laughs> and so uh, uh, that and then grackles, which are like crows, but more annoying. Um <laughs> And so in the morning when we were shooting outside, it was like the grackles and the cicadas. And it was like West Side Story. They were getting ready for a gang fight. (laughs) (laughs) Until Mike fired off one of those cannons. And then it's like, okay, good for sound. Let's go, fellas. That's odd to keep a cannon on the ready in the bedroom window for in the morning when the birds are always waking us up. Just boom. I'm I'm telling you what, man, a little a little nine pounder, it's all you need. (laughs) I've never heard of a a grackle. Is that what you said? Yeah. Grackle, yeah. Yeah. You've heard of them, Josh? Oh yeah. They're 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 just basically flying rodents that live to annoy you. (laughs) (laughs) I need to look them up. I'm sure I have heard them, seen them. I just can't uh, think of what they are, but You've just tuned them out by now. That's all. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's just it. (laughs) 
We're going to take a break from our conversation to jump to a commercial, but stick around. More with Larry when we return. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on. All right. Uh, going forward, did you guys have anything else you wanted to ask on Wishbone before we move forward? No. There is a story that I've told on a previous podcast. I'll just tell this real quick. You can use it or not. But um, I got kicked out of – there used to be a toy store nationally called KB Toys. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I love that mm-hmm. place. And I got kicked out of that store once and asked to never return. <laughs> and it was Wishbone. Here's what happened. Oh, boy. Yeah. I, uh, so it was uh, – it was 1996 and the show had already been out and it was uh, February of 1996. So I was at a mall in Plano, Texas called Collin Creek Mall. And uh, I was there at KB Toys to buy my little nephew a birthday present. And as I was walking up and down the aisles, I walked, there was this plush aisle and I saw this little girl and she was looking at the wishbone plushes. Now we did not have the talking plush out yet. But we had just the plush dolls. We had Romeo and Juliet, Sherlock Holmes, Robin Hood. And so she's looking at them. I immediately turned around, ran down the aisle, went to the next adjacent aisle, came up about even with her, (laughs) leaned down and said, your mommy said you should take me home. (laughs) And she went, she went, really? And I said, yeah, take me home. It's okay. So I hear her go, okay. And she picks the thing up and I hear her scamper off. So I walked to the edge of my aisle and right there was the checkout. And she runs up to her mom and she goes, mommy, mommy, wishbone said we could buy him and take him home. And uh, she said, he, he talks. And she goes, yeah, he talked to me. And so she starts pressing stuff on the doll, <laughs> like the ears and the paws mm-hmm. and the back. Like she's clearly trying to activate the voice thing and it's just not happening. And she's looking carefully at the box. It doesn't say anything about talking. And, and she goes, honey, this, this, this dog, this dog doesn't talk. And the little kid, her voice dropped about five octaves like Beelzebub. And she said, he talked to me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 
and, and, and her mom, her eyes got so big. And she was like, listen, little lady, we are not getting this done. And then behind me, right behind me, keep in mind, I'm like this, right behind me, I heard. And I turned around and it was the store manager. <laughs> and she said, are you actually the voice of that character? And I said, yeah. And she goes, first of all, that was really funny. Second of all, I'm going to ask you, ask you to leave and never come back. <laughs> oh my gosh. What and a I polite said, way to get kicked out. I, I said, no problem. <laughs> Bye. Oh, man. Yeah. It's such a cool story because that little girl will never know that that voice actually coming through there was the actual <laughs> voice of Wishbone. Like, that's incredible. And she really did that need therapy. Yeah, that was not the most interesting part of that story for me. For me, it was when Sybil showed up out of that little girl. <laughs> I, like, I'm barely exaggerating her voice when she goes, he talked to me. <laughs> it was like, wow, wow. You Damn. are going to have some issues later on in life, aren't you? <laughs> okay. Dude, I had one of those dogs that did talk, though. What's that? I had one of the, I had one of the versions that did talk. And you'd like squeeze the tail and be like, don't go there. No, it was just Larry outside your window. Oh, yeah. I was the whole time. <laughs> I was at a con this weekend and a guy came up and he had a, a, a talking plush and he asked me to sign the collar. And I was like, oh my God, man. It's like the, the, the stuff that people hang on to is pretty amazing. Oh, you should see oh, yeah. my basement, man. I've got a problem. Oh, yeah. oh, I definitely don't that, still have that plush. So many ways. None of them good. Yeah. <laughs> You should see my basement, Larry. <laughs> oh, shit. I didn't mean that. Like that. Takes me home. There's a the pile of candy the back there in the corner. <laughs> the lotion basket, Larry. Feed the dog. Uh, one thing about this podcast, you say something sometimes it sounds perfect in your head, but then you realize, oh, shit. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I guess you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> You know what? That's okay, man, because I have a unique superpower, and that is the ability to take an awkward situation and make it even more awkward. That's a gift, man. That's yeah. truly a gift. Yeah. I've, I've done that too many times in my career account. One thing I want to touch on before we do move on, I want to go way back to the beginning when you were talking about uh, doing stand-up. Do you uh, remember any of the material that you were using? And, you know, to think that you were doing stand-up at 16 years old is, it, it's impressive. I mean, at 42, I would still like to try stand-up, but cannot get the nerves <laughs> to do it because it's, you're, so, you're just putting yourself out there. So that's impressive. But do you remember any of your material? First of all, if you're going to do it at 42, drinking really helps. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it really helps. It doesn't actually give you courage. You just care a lot less what people think of you. Yeah. So, no. Um, mm. No, I mostly was cribbing from other comics that I really liked at the time. And I was playing these small venues in and around the Houston area. Uh, so those people didn't watch stand-up comedy on television. They didn't buy stand-up comedy albums. So it was quite easy to crib from comics that I liked and sort of adjust it to what I was doing. I will tell you that I never, 
I never did it long enough to establish my own personality. I was always being someone else on stage. Mm. Okay. Um, and the, the guys that I really admire the most are the guys that have, so with writers and comics, it's important to have it, your own voice. You have your own voice. And what I mean by that is you could just hear that comic starting to talk or even start reading some stuff that that person has written and you would know immediately who it was. So some examples for me are gotten like, like my favorite comic currently working is Patton Oswalt. Oh, wow. Is, okay. Good choice. He is just one of the most uh, enlightened comics working today. He's also, a, he writes a ton. He's written several screenplays and books and everything else. He definitely has his own voice. If you listen to his routines, another guy that's got a really solid voice is a guy like Tom Segura, hmm. um, who's, who is just himself. He's not a, a character if you go back to the 80s there were guys that were being characters like everybody remembers right. gallagher mm-hmm. yeah. everybody remembers, uh harry anderson from nightport who was also a magician but he did a lot of stand-up uh stephen wright you know those those guys put on a persona and then they would go on stage and that's what i was doing initially um and i and now a few occasionally I will get asked to do a set in very small venues around. I, I tend not to venture out of my bubble anymore because uh, the world is scary and there are wolves. Um, so scary. Truer words were never spoken. Yeah. Every so often, uh, you know, a friend of mine who runs a venue will call and say, Hey, can you open for this guy and give me like 10 minutes? And I'm sure. Why not? <clears throat> and now it's just all story from my life and I do have my own voice now because it took me long enough but I finally found it so now I just talk about my life and of course I exaggerate a little bit but only a little bit because so much of my life is extremely absurd (laughs) that's perfect so you're still doing it to this day on occasion you're saying I haven't done a set in quite a while because nobody's called and I'm not actively seeking it I've got enough to do sure Without walking up on stage and taking the chance that some guy down front is going to be like, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> one of the things that keeps me off the stage, but I, I want to try it so bad. And one of these days I think I will, but it'll probably, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You owe it to yourself to try. And, and if for no other reason than this, and that, and this is, I've, I've always said this. If your friends think you're funny and your family thinks you're funny, that's great. But it's just your friends and family. Right. And see, in front of a group of strangers, some of whom are there to actively not laugh because they're just assholes. Yeah. (laughs) If you can turn them around and make them giggle a little bit, then you probably got something worth saying. Hmm. I feel it's, like it I, would be a bad American Idol audition for me getting on stage. <laughs> like, oh, my mom says I'm good. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> Just lead with I'm that. Special. My mom says I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> but man, you are keeping yourself busy too. Is you know the nerd over here that's also an anime fan. Like you are in so many Funimation productions. <laughs> How did that come about? Does it was it just one audition led to another, or it started with an audition, or like right around? I had just moved back from New York, so that would have been like somewhere around 2001, summer of 2001. And I called my Texas agent. I said, I'm back. And uh, she said, well, this 
this thing, audition for this. So it was an anime called Full Metal Alchemist. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is going way back. And I did it. And then I did some more. And then I stopped doing it for a long time <laughs> because they were far away from me, the studio, and they paid shit. Okay. And oh. I honestly, there reached a point where I had to call my agent and go, it's not worth the gas and the wear and tear on my car to drive all oh, the way man. out there for what they're paying me on a rate. Wow. So I did for man. a long time. And then uh, I got a call from my agent some years later and said, hey, they're only 30 minutes from you now as opposed to an hour. Would you be willing to give it another shot? Oh, and they're going to pay you more. Uh, <laughs> it's so a very said, important detail. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and I started working on properties and I started working with directors and then some of those directors would leave and go to video game companies and then they would call me to do video games mm -hmm. and other guy, you know, so it, it just kind of, it was a ball that just kind of never stopped rolling. Awesome. Um, now it's great because now I'm, I can't, well, I was, I did a session today. Is it Monday? Is it Monday? It's Monday. Yeah. It's Monday. Yeah. I did a session today. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah, disc is full, guys. I've only got so much on the floppy. <laughs> and at this point, because I'm 56, and that means anytime new information comes in, something has to leave. Oh, and I'm yeah. Thinking, it doesn't come back ever, ever. And I'm worried that it's going to be something important. Like, I'm going to start watching a new series and forget how to do CPR. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I needed that. I needed that. What, what's going to be the show to replace CPR? Yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Because I have that next season of One Piece, damn it. <laughs> it just I'm the same kind on. of way at, at at 42 years old. I the other day, uh, some of my old friends popped into my mind, like good friends, and then I couldn't not remember their name. I still fucking can't remember their names, and they're good friends. No, they're but not. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. If you can't remember their names, they're not your good friends. You oh my god off of that that they are not yeah but i can sit here friends. and remember like a ton of like d characters from star wars you know <laughs> it's like why why can't i retain this yeah. my good friend lando calrissian oh no <laughs> shit oh uh. <laughs> i'll just yeah. start calling them lando and leia and stuff yeah, <laughs> that'll work <laughs> your name is anthony daniels now that's who you are <laughs> that's just how it's gonna be <laughs> oh anthony you scamp All right. my name is my jackass <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing that i have heard you say and i'm wondering if you still do said you had an acoustic band with some friends that you play out is that is that accurate that w was accurate uh we don't play out anymore i uh a couple years ago uh, started developing arthritis in my hands. Oh, and man. I've got it managed pretty well, uh, but not well enough that I can play guitar all the time. I see. So that that was a sad thing to have to let go of. Um, but, you know, we're all still friends, and we love to go watch live music when other people make it. I have a buddy. He's just a few years younger than I am, and he's a front man for this awesome 90s rock band. And I mean, they are tight and I love watching to go uh, listen to them play because it reminds me that I was in my 20s once. 
(laughs) (laughs) We all need that reminder. Thing, I mean, you know, they don't have it in the cars anymore, but they used to have this thing in the cars called radio, and you would tune (laughs) to a station, and then you could listen to music. Yeah. Tell us more about this was, radio. I think it was born after that, maybe. Uh, Those were the days. Oh, <laughs> radio? Well, what's the name of that band? Yeah. It was, oh, oh uh, they're called 90 to Nothing. 90 to Nothing. Nice. And 90 was there ever any, uh, like, recordings made of you guys, like, released or anything? Anything that we can look up no, or listeners can look up? Like, my, my bass player and uh, good friend Shelby Smith uh, described us as, a cover band for bands you never heard of, <laughs> <laughs> which is shockingly accurate because we oh, would cover man. blues and Americana and root songs from bands like the Wood Brothers and Amos Lee and Lonesome Bellow. Um, we'd occasionally throw in some old John Prine, uh, but it was it was mostly uh, bands that you know didn't get a lot of and still don't get a lot of uh, airplay. But why we loved them was because of the harmonies that they made. Because when Shelby and Jan and I first met and became friends, we discovered that we all liked to sing. And we discovered that we all made really good harmonies together. So that was always hard is to find songs where we could showcase that. Because my guitar playing was competent at best. Uh, (laughs) And Shelby could play any instrument ever. uh, But he was my upright bass player. And then Jan just, you know, has the voice of an angel and um, and the attitude of a school marm, which we really needed. So it all worked out. Boy, that sounds so much fun. I mean, even if you can't play guitar, you can still sing, though, right? Well, for me, playing and singing was kind of a package deal. I really enjoyed doing it. Sure. It was a challenge for me. Uh, I, I didn't start playing guitar until I turned 40. And then, and I played guitar for probably four, four years before I tried playing and singing. And that was a completely different kettle of sure. uh, monkeys. That was like a dogfight in my head when I first started doing it, because your hands are doing one thing and your brain is going to do something else. And so uh, I was like, man, this, this must what it feels like to be insane. well you know i used to uh, play out with my friends like in bars you know open mic nights and stuff and you know i asked that question but you know i i think i'm the same way because if i wasn't playing my guitar i don't think i'd just be standing up there singing with them and when you're doing music live as a guitar player at least for me i don't know if you can relate to this larry but having the guitar in front of you is there's a buffer between you and the audience for some reason because this object is between you and them did you have that Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that. That was that was part of it. It was my my sort of shield uh, mm-hmm. when I was when I was up there, and and this used to drive my bandmates crazy. I always closed my eyes, and uh, I was either closing my eyes or I was looking at the neck of the guitar because I didn't trust my hand to make the chords I needed to make without me looking at it, like, you better behave. <laughs> I won't come down there. <laughs> so I, I really had to learn to like start, start opening my eyes, looking out at the audience, making eye contact. <coughs> or if there, was a, if there was a change in the song, something that I had to key, I had to look at my bandmates, make sure they were on the same page with me. 
but yeah, I, I was, uh, I was never like, you know, I never did the Jim Morrison thing where, you know, he used to turn his back to the audience to sing. Oh, a lot yeah. of the time. <laughs> uh, but I never, I never did that. And I was, I was never like uh Sia where, you know, you get the wigs that cover the eyeballs. So you can't <laughs> yeah. see me. <I'm> here. <laughs> Look like a Ramon. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but it was, it was a lot of fun while we did it. Sounds fun, man. I wish I could hear those recordings. I mean, or I just hear it, period. Did you guys ever record anything, even if it's not out there? Did you guys ever record uh, anything? I think our Facebook page is still active. So it was called McKinney Root. Hey. And uh, I, I think Jan posted some stuff on there. I, I can't remember. I haven't been out there in a very long time. It I've always shocks me. To do. Like yeah. every so often I'll get a ding on my phone that says, you have a new follower. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> it just reinforces what my daughter says. She's like, you know, Facebook's for old people, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yes, I do know that actually. Yeah. Well, Thank I'm going to have to look for those. Uh, one more question before we uh, cut you loose, man. And I want to thank you for being so generous with your time this evening. This is so much fun talking with you, uh, hearing all these stories. Thank you. But, um, you know, you've mentioned about being at a convention. Uh, I'm just wondering uh, any upcoming appearances that the listeners should know about or uh, projects you're working on. Uh, uh, well, for the Texas-based folks, yes. September 15th through the 17th, I'll be in San Antonio, Texas at Anime South Texas. So if you're in College Station or San Antonio, either of those weekends, I would love to, to see you. Uh, I am getting out. This is actually the first year I've ever done cons. Okay. I stayed away from them for many years because of my twin dislikes of crowds and people. Sure. Um, <laughs> I can relate. But uh, I just sent my third child off to college out of state. So cons oh, I see. a really good idea get out there and, and meet the fans. Um, <clears throat> and honestly, it's been great. Uh, like to, to have people come up to seriously, like non-ironically say you were the voice of my childhood. I take that very seriously. Of course. Uh, and it's quite, it's quite an honor. So, you know, people come up and they have, they have their own wishbone stories or younger people come up and they've got, um, you know, they want to talk to me about an anime character that I've done, like Spinner and my hero academia or Hordy Jones in uh, One Piece or one of the many. It's just very cool to be able to chat with people and get that immediate feedback from them. So um, my my agents are trying to get me further out into the world, outside of Texas, possibly Phoenix in October. Where are you guys, actually? Columbus, Ohio. Oh, man. I have a family that lives in Westerville. Oh yeah! Oh my God! We are right hey. next to Westerville. Yeah. We're in Worthington. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, uh, so and and if I'm not mistaken, doesn't James is it James Thurber's house in Columbus or Westerville area? James that Thurber, the Ar maybe. Oh, you better look that up, young man. James Thurber, the American author, Secret Life of Walter Mitty. No, I, I have no oh, idea. That's ringing a bell. I, if I've he never, does or not. Yeah. So so wishbone was sort of based on Walter Mitty because oh. he was a man, just a normal man living a very humdrum life who could imagine himself as this great into these great adventures. And then, you know, his imagination would take off. So no kidding. James Thurber, the secret life of Walter Mitty. Read it. It's a great read. All right. I will I check it out. Love, love. I've been to Columbus many, many times. 
Let us know when you're in town again. Yeah. You can come uh, sit on the couch here with us. Yeah. I would love to sit on that couch. <laughs> I, we'll yeah. keep you away from Jeremy's basement. Yeah, promise. I was going to say, there's no basement <laughs> yeah. here. <laughs> that, that is a pr- I will want that in writing. <laughs> At no time will you go into Jeremy's basement. I'll get that notarized, too, and send yeah. it to you just to make that it official. Make- Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Larry, this has been a pleasure, man. Thank you. F- so much for giving us your time tonight this Mm. has been great thank you guys uh good luck with your podcast keep doing what you're doing man thank Thank you you. so much man thank you all right guys take care all right and once again that was our conversation with larry brantley i'm so glad he decided to stop by and hang out with us guys it was so much fun as you know oh yeah you were here for it but you know, coming from the Wish Bros, I mean, I'm so anxious to hear how you guys are feeling about it, being the super fans. I was just so happy that he was so just laid back and chill. And just, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It always just makes me, it gives me that warm feeling inside when they're just, they're real people, you know? Yeah, yeah. They just don't have oh, problems. Just very real, laid back, carefree kind of a guest. Yeah. It makes sense yeah. that he's the kind of guy that can give <laughs> the kind of uh, endearing performance for a dog in a kid's show that yeah. stands the test of time and is still popular to this day. It's, it makes so much sense, and um, I'm so happy that he's still working and thriving, mm-hmm. you know, just doing the best It's a can. perfect casting, oh, wasn't yeah. it? It really it's was. Perfect. And Mattel, don't fuck up the reboot. Don't you dare. Yeah, I really wonder how they're going to re, you know, I mean, uh, reimagine it. Yeah. I think that's what he said, like yeah, reimagining. Because he, he had a great point. Like, what else, what other context are you going to have this? Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I imagine. Sit here and reiterate. I understand. And they're going to reimagine it because they can't use the same dog. There's no, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no weird justification they can come up with for, yeah, oh, by the way, Wishbone, it's the same dog. Unless they're going to set it in the 90s, you know, like, hey, we're going back in time, which. I would love that. Just a continuation of like, hey, yeah, takes place yeah. in the nineties. Awesome. Bringing it back, we're bringing back the eighties. Time for the nineties. <laughs> As they start flashing back to the nineties, you hear Smash Mouth playing yeah. on somebody's radio. Go He's drink some Surge. <laughs> Tamagotchis flopping everywhere. Oh, dude, yeah. Oh man, yeah. What a what a time to be alive, mm, huh? Flopping Tamagotchis. <laughs> But I want to thank Larry for, again, taking time to be on the show. You can find him on Instagram at Outlaw Larry. And it seems like he's putting a lot of his like up- upcoming appearances on there, other than what he's mentioned here, uh, up, you know, on top of many other entertaining things. So follow him there. And uh, I don't know if he has any other avenue that I've really been able to find. I looked on Twitter. I couldn't find anything. That doesn't mean it's not there. But um, I didn't see a website either. So... No, but hey, support your local PBS station. Yeah, there you yes. go. Get a tote bag. It's there possible you go. from See? viewers like you. Hey. hey. I think we got a new tag. <laughs> We're stealing it, PBS. It's ours <laughs> now. All right. With everything having been said, Randy, what do we have on the website, sir? Go to candarepodcast.com. Check out all our past episodes, our special guests, our newly reformed, reissued Wall of Heroes, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the links to said Patreon and all the merch and pretty much any links you need, as well as if you're interested in uh, coming on our show and being a guest, uh, send us an email on our contact page. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's pretty thorough. I like that. Yeah. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at CannedAirPod, on Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok at Canned Air Podcast, where you can see us just uh, occasionally trying to be funny. I guess we need yeah, to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing our damnedest. <laughs> Helping you relive your childhood. Yeah. That's, that's the best thing, though, especially on TikTok, to put something up. Like the other day, I put up a Taco Bell commercial. I saw that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But just hearing people say, I totally forgot that this lives rent free in my Memory mind. Memory unlocked. Like, yeah. That's like the best thing. Especially when people listen to the show and they say the same thing. I love yeah. drudging up those old memories for people. If you it's want so rewarding, to improve your feed, follow Candare Podcast on all your socials. It'll be much better instantaneously. There you have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, ways you can support us. Again, on CandarePodcast.com, the merch tab, the Patreon tab. Ways you get something in return for giving us a little bit of your cold, hard cash. And uh, what else do we got here? And if you don't want to do that any however you're listening to us any ratings mm-hmm. reviews are much appreciated mm-hmm. so exactly exactly and uh, things coming up we got TorgCon coming up in november people and yours truly we're all going to be there we're mm-hmm. all going to be in there. one medium or another i know you're going to be doing some panels yep i'll help you run the table jack will be superheroing it up yeah um yeah yeah we yeah might so have come a- out and say hi and if you show up wearing a canned air t-shirt uh, these guys will totally sign it for you. Yeah, we're and we're going to be selling cans. We're going to be selling cans. Oh, uh, yeah. Canned cans with goodies in them. Come up to the table. We were sl- we will sign your cans. Yes. Hey, <laughs> it may work out in our benefit, <laughs> but it may also work the other way too. You will sign my uh, cans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's take that back. <laughs> <laughs> nope, too late. Deal's a deal. <laughs> Bring them on over. Uh, um, what else? Uh, again, episode 500 just came out the episode before this. If you oh, haven't listened to it, check it out. Boy, it's a long one. It's a mm-hmm. whopper. It's like over three hours long with clips from throughout the years, stories, f- uh, tons of laughs. It is a 10-year retrospective of canned air awesomeness. It's, yeah. I'm very pleased with the way it came out. So uh, we hope you guys like it, too. And if you know a friend who uh, isn't into Candare, show them that episode. It's a great mm-hmm. jumping in point for anyone who hasn't heard Candare but wants to be a part of the nation. So what am I forgetting, gentlemen? Spooky shit. Send them our way. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. Halloween's coming. We want tales. to hear your spooky stories, people. And we want you to let us, you know, let us share them with the world. Be a guest on our Halloween episode. It's probably one of my favorite things we do throughout the year. Yes, it is. It's quickly become one of the favorite things. <laughs> Even though it's a lot of work, it's one of my favorites. Uh, and I think, unless anyone else had anything to say. I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to do it for this week. So once again, big thanks to Larry. And until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Randy Hardenbrook. Josh Bellis. Be good, everyone, and be good at it.
Hey, everyone, watch me! I'll never learn to jet ski. And yet, you keep trying. Scarlet! That's like your sixth try. You obviously don't have any talent. Have you thought of giving up? Maybe I should just try again. Maybe you should try listening to Canned Air Podcast. Well, at least now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. This has been a Canned Air production. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.